middle of our What If series. Um, August actually has five Sundays, so we're doing five weeks of What If, just talking about some of the things that uh, in our Christian faith that we might need to um, ask ourselves some questions about in regards to whether or not we are uh, seeing it the way the Lord wants us to see it. And today we are talking about forgiveness, and you know this is a this is a tough subject sometimes to talk about, but uh, it's something that we all need in our life uh, consistently on a regular basis, and so. Um, uh, I'm encouraged and challenged, and I hope you will be too through this message. I do want to mention, obviously, with the mask, you know, we thank you guys for wearing them, coming in, and, and all that. If you want to take it off during the sermon time, you're welcome to do that. We just ask you to put it on as you leave today. Uh, I'm going to do my best not to spit on anybody or give anybody anything, so feel free to take it off if it helps you relax during the sermon. Uh, are you ready for the Word? Would you stand with me, please, as we read God's Word, read my text verse for the morning? It's out of Luke 17. Verses three to five, these are the words of Jesus. He says, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And watch what the apostle said. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith, exclamation point. This was their response to Jesus telling them that they had to forgive. It's a powerful response we get from the disciples in this passage. The title of my sermon today is, What If It Takes Faith to Forgive? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you today. God, I'm so blessed to be in this place. What a privilege to be able to serve you in this capacity. Lord, I ask that you administer through me, that my words would be your words. Lord, we need you desperately to come and have your way in our lives. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Do your work in every one of our hearts and seal it by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Teach us to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. We'll give you all the praise and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So as I was uh, studying for this sermon this week, I came across a story of a, a man and woman that got married at a young age, and they, they ended up being married a total of 60 years. And uh, when they got married, they, they decided they were going to keep no secrets from each other. You know, they shared everything and had a good marriage. There was just one thing the wife said, please don't ask me about this. She had a shoebox that she kept up in her closet. She told her husband, just don't ask about this. Just act like it's not there. And the husband agreed. And so he lived for years and never even thought about it, forgot about it actually. And then uh, the time came where she got sick and the doctor said she wasn't going to recover. And so he got this box and brought it to her bedside and asked if he could see what was in it now. And she said, yeah, now's the time. So he opened it up and found two beautifully crocheted doilies in the box and $25,000 in cash. And uh, he said, uh, he asked her, he said, what is this about? And she said, well, when we got married, when we were kids, my mom told me that the secret to a happy marriage is to just, uh, to practice unconditional forgiveness. That I was just, we just need to forgive each other. That's how you're gonna get through marriage and life. And she said that um, not to hold grudges, but to just, every time I got mad at you, she said, I should just crochet a doily. It would help appease my anger, I guess. And, uh, and so the, the husband was so moved because he said, wow, that's incredible. He was actually in tears. He said, I can't believe in 60 years of marriage, you were only mad at me twice because there's only two doilies here. And he was so moved by it and, and touched. And he said, well, that explains the doilies, but what's with the stack of cash? And she said, oh, that's the money I made from selling all those doilies. <laughs> Some of you probably heard that before, but it was worth saying because that's funny. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to forgive if we got cash every time we forgave? <laughs> we could really live a lifestyle of forgiveness if we did that. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. And, uh, you know, forgiveness is one of those things that it comes up all the time in our life. And it's, 
I believe it's so important that we talk about it in church consistently because, you know, forgiveness isn't one of those things that you deal with it one day and you forgive everybody and you've dealt with all the, the anger you've had in life and all the grudges you've had in life and, and you walk away and everything's just peachy clean from then on out. Uh, forgiveness is something that comes up constantly in our life. And we as followers of Jesus, we know that it's an issue that God is very serious about. And so it's important that we take it seriously too. You know, he said in the Lord's Prayer, which is something we learn in Sunday school as a kid, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. And we know from that verse that he's telling us that we're asking him to forgive us and to use the same measure of forgiveness on us that we use on others. And you know, we know that unless we live in a cave, that forgiveness is something we always have to do. It just takes a short amount of time before someone's gonna do something to you that you're gonna have to forgive. In fact, this week, I had to forgive somebody that I don't even know. Because I was here on a Tuesday and my, my daughter Mackenzie called me in the afternoon and said, Dad, somebody just rear-ended me. And, uh, you know, she's 16, just driving. And uh, I said, were you okay? And she said, well, yeah. But uh, she said it was scary because he hit me and knocked me into the road where there could have been oncoming cars. And it was really scary. And, and uh, she said, not only that, after he pushed me forward, he drove up beside me and looked me square in the eye and took off. And uh, I said, did you get the license plate number? And she said, no. And she was too shaken up to even really check into that. And, and uh, so I had to forgive that guy. In fact, I actually drove through his neighborhood first and didn't find him. Then I forgave him. But, you know, that's what we have to do. You know, it was frustrating that that happened. He messed up, messed up the back of her car, and we got to deal with that. But that's just, that's just part of life. And, you know, whether it's something superficial like a traffic thing, or whether it's road rage or whatever it is, or if it's something more severe like somebody that really that you trusted that really broke your heart and really did something to hurt you, Whatever it is, we are required, we have to forgive in our life constantly on a consistent basis. And, and the reason that we're always having to forgive is very simple, because people hurt people. That's what people do. I don't think people, for the most part, people don't do it intentionally. We, uh, we don't mean to hurt people, but we live in a fallen world and we just hurt each other in life. In fact, I saw a t-shirt this week that said, the last thing I wanna do is hurt you, but it's on the list. <laughs> We don't wanna hurt people, but if it comes down to between me and you, sometimes you know, you'd rather that person got hurt than, than you getting hurt. And so we always are constantly having to keep forgiveness in front of us in our life if we're gonna live a life that pleases the Lord. And you know, my text verse that I read shows us the, uh, one of the biggest keys to forgiveness. You know, when, when Jesus said, hey, if somebody comes and sins against you seven times a day and seven times asks you to forgive them, you have to do it. The disciples didn't say, well, what's in it for me? And they didn't say, well, so does that mean on the eighth time I can tell them they're dead to me? They didn't say anything like that. They said, increase our faith. Because they knew that Jesus' words to them in that moment were very difficult words to swallow. They're difficult words to take in and to live by. And the disciples didn't ask for a three-part plan of how they can live this out. They knew what they needed to live this out, and it was that their faith would be increased. They said, increase our faith, Jesus. And this is the key to forgiveness, church. And I'm going to get into it more later, um, talking about faith and forgiveness. That's why it was the title of my sermon. But I want to get through a few things before I get to that. First of all, I want to give you some truth about forgiveness. The truth about forgiveness is that it's hard. I mean, let's just be honest. Forgiveness is not an easy thing to live in our life. It goes against our very nature. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 5 and verse 39, he's given the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you know, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He said, I tell you, if someone smacks you in the right cheek, you turn to him the other one also. And I know when we read that, we think, 
come on, Jesus, do you really want us to do that? I mean, how hard is it to respond the way he has told us to respond in that passage? Now, the good thing is about the word of God is that it shows us here that this is not about a physical confrontation, that if somebody's going to beat you up, you just need to stand there and take it. You know, some people have misinterpreted this to mean that that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be doormats as Christians. That's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about if someone slaps you across the right cheek with a backhanded slap, that's meant to be an insult in Jewish culture. It was an insult to slap somebody. And he's saying if somebody insults you, don't return insult for insult. He said, you turn the other cheek. He's telling us not to respond to people's insults. And that's even difficult to do. You know, if you don't believe it, look at the comment section in Facebook, right? We see people going at it, even on Facebook. It's difficult to respond in the way that the Lord wants us to respond in these things. And we have to question sometimes whether or not God is really expecting us to forgive unconditionally. I mean, is he really asking me to love my enemies? I mean, can't I just put up with them? You know, can't I just kind of inwardly hope that things don't go well for them, you know, or inwardly maybe be a little bit happy if something doesn't go well for that person that hurt me, you know, as long as I don't say anything out loud, unless it's in the form of a prayer request? Or can I at least be a little bit annoyed when good things happen to them? You know, that's what, that's what we think on the inside sometimes. When Jesus says to love your enemies and to forgive those who have done things against us, it almost seems like it can be impossible at times. And I, I think sometimes we don't believe what the preacher says about forgiveness or we don't believe what the word of God says about forgiveness because if we did, we would not go years and sometimes decades holding a grudge against someone in our life and not being willing to forgive somebody because if we really believe that Jesus forgives us, that he uses the same measure of forgiveness in our life as we use towards others, we would not be willing to, do, to hold on to the unforgiveness that we do in our life because there's no way in the world that we want God not to forgive us because we know we need his forgiveness, right? And if we really believe it, then we would live it out in our life. Look at Jesus in Matthew 6. This is right after he gives us the Lord's Prayer that I just mentioned earlier. The very next verse after the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is saying, he, the disciples asked him how to pray. And he said, this is how you pray. And he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And it's almost as if after the Lord's Prayer, he said, oh, by the way, now that I've given you this cute little prayer that you can put on bookmarks and postcards and bumper stickers, let me reiterate to you what, what I wanted to say about forgiveness is that if you don't forgive, my father will not forgive you. And I know that sometimes we think there's no way that's what Jesus meant. There's no possible way that he is telling me that if I don't forgive that my ex-wife that cheated on me or my ex-husband that cheated on me or my uncle that molested me or my boss that fired me for no good reason or those people that have really hurt me in my life, he cannot possibly be saying that if I don't forgive them, he's not going to forgive me. That's a hard word to believe, isn't it? And I think we choose sometimes not to believe it because it just can't be that way. God's so much more full of grace than we are. So obviously he's going to figure out a way to overlook the fact that I have held a grudge against this person my whole life because that person deserves for me to hold that grudge. But the word of God is the word of God, church. It's the word of God. I'm not making this up. This is not some thing I'm coming up with trying to convince us to live forgiving lives. This is the word of God. And if Jesus says it, he meant it. Now, the good news in all of this is that he doesn't just say it and expect us just to figure it out and do it on our own. He's going to help us do it. But it has to be something that we're, we're motivated. If we're not motivated, we're not going to experience God's power in our life to help us to forgive those that really don't deserve our forgiveness. It has to be something that we are motivated to do. 
Forgiveness is not earned. Respect is earned. Trust is earned. Influence is earned. A raise in your salary is earned, hopefully. But forgiveness is not earned. Someone does not have to earn your forgiveness. Forgiveness is freely given. Forgiveness is not about waiting for an apology before you actually forgive. Forgiveness is forgiving no matter what the other person does. Don't confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. Reconciliation can't happen unless both parties are willing to come back together. Sometimes reconciliation can't happen. It's not always possible in life, but forgiveness is always, always possible on our end. And it's something that God is always asking us to do. Forgiveness doesn't deny that the offense happened. It's not minimizing what has happened to you. I'm not standing up here saying no matter what happened, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. What, what has happened to us has hurt us. And some people have been hurt very, very badly. Some people have had trauma in their life from someone's evil acts in their life. It doesn't minimize what happened. It doesn't deny what happened. But what it is doing, it, it is we are extending to them the same thing that Jesus gave to us. And we're actually able to walk in freedom when we are able to figure out how to forgive somebody that doesn't necessarily deserve our forgiveness. So let me ask you today, is the fact that the Bible says it, is it enough? Is it enough for us that, well, the Bible says it, so I guess we just got to do it. And I would even suggest to you today that sometimes the Bible just saying it isn't always enough for us as humans. You know, the Bible says to do unto others as you would have them do unto you at all times too. I, we don't always do that either. Sometimes just saying, well, the Bible says that we need to do it isn't enough for us. We have to understand the why. And what I love about the Word of God and what I love about our Heavenly Father and, and Jesus is that they don't just tell us to do stuff and put it down in a book for us to try to figure out. They always give us the why. They always give us more to help us live out what he's asking us to live out in our life. And sometimes we need to understand the why when it comes to forgiveness, because sometimes the feelings don't follow what we know the word's telling us to do, right? And I can, I can give you a little illustration to kind of explain a little bit how this can help us. So back before smartphones were out, I had a Blackberry. Anybody here ever had a Blackberry? Yeah, those were the greatest thing ever invented at the time, weren't they? How are they ever gonna beat the Blackberry? Nothing's ever gonna be better. It was so amazing. I loved my BlackBerry so much, and I bragged about it to anybody that would listen. And all of a sudden, the iPhone came out, and everything changed. Everybody was, oh, the iPhone this, the iPhone that. You know, you could pinch the screen and make it bigger and smaller. And I remember this guy demonstrating it to me, and I was like, that's stupid. Even though inside, I'm like, that's really cool. <laughs> but I hesitated to get one because I just loved my, I was like, that can't be better. You know, I'm, I'm happy with this. I'm content. It does my email. It does everything I need. I'm good. So I held out for a little while, and finally somebody said to me, when they were talking to me about their iPhone, I was talking about my BlackBerry, they said, you don't know what you're missing. And so I thought, all right, you know, I wasn't, I'm not like in my 60s where I'm set in my ways and I know everything, right? I'm just kidding, I'm talking to the over 60 crowd here, just joking with you. So I went ahead and, I went ahead and purchased one, and immediately my reaction was, whoa, this is really cool. <laughs> It was better in every way than the BlackBerry. And I loved it so much. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I waited as long as I did to even get this. You know, this is so amazing. It's such an incredible upgrade in life, you know. And we see how the smartphones have just swept the world and taken over the world. There's a reason that the only place you can buy Blackberries now is in the produce section at Kroger, right? Because they're so much better. It was such a big upgrade. That's what walking in forgiveness is. 
That's what being able to forgive and walk in that freedom is. It is an upgrade in life. You know, we can think like, I'm good. You know, yeah, I have this hatred towards this relative that if I ever saw them at the grocery store, my blood would boil and I'd instantly have high blood pressure and have to run out of the, out of the store. But I'm okay with that. I just, I'll just try my best to avoid them. You know, it's fine. It's no big deal. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm getting through life just fine. I figured out how to survive and move on despite all of those things. When in reality, you're just living with an old Blackberry. And God's saying, I want to give you an upgrade. I want to help you walk in this forgiveness because there's nothing like the freedom of forgiveness to where you could go into a store and run into anybody in your past or in your life and just be totally fine and bless them and pray for them. It doesn't mean what they did doesn't matter and that you're just impervious to pain. It just means we're releasing them. We're not holding them guilty of what they've done to us. We are releasing them of those things. It's an upgrade in our life, living in freedom. And the fact is, church, we reap what we sow. If you, if you sow forgiveness, you will reap forgiveness. Not just from your heavenly father, which I already pointed out, but from people too. There is a spiritual principle that when we live a life of forgiving others, that we will receive forgiveness from those people too. It just works that way. People don't even know why, they're, why it's so easy to forgive you. They just will. Because God's working on your behalf when we live a life of forgiveness. Reaping what we sow. Look at, look at Luke 6, 37 and 38. These are the words of Jesus. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This verse is taken out of context all the time to be preached at telling us that we need to give our money. Because if we give, then it'll be given back to us. It'll be pressed down, shaken together and running over. Now, I believe in the principle of reaping and sowing with our giving too. But this verse is actually talking about forgiveness. Jesus is saying, if you forgive, forgiveness will be extended to you. You know, when I talk about forgiveness, when I say we're talking about forgiveness, the first thing that comes into your mind is those people that have wronged you that, oh man, I'm gonna have to probably forgive somebody today. But you know what? We also should be thinking about the people that may need to forgive us. The people in our life that we have done things to or we have hurt people, we're not innocent victims in life. You know, we may have had people hurt us, but we've hurt people too. If you're living on this earth, you've experienced that. So if I'm forgiving, then I wanna be forgiven. And this verse is telling us that it'll be pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring out in your lap if we live a life of forgiveness. So I want to give you the what-ifs of forgiveness today. And this, in this series, every, every topic we've been talking about, we're talking about the what-ifs of these topics. And we're talking about forgiveness today. So the what-ifs of forgiveness. What if our pride is holding us back? That's a big one. What if our pride is holding us back? Pride is hands down the thing in our life that keeps us from forgiving the most. It is hands down the biggest thing that keeps us forgiving, from forgiving. Pride is your enemy, and it will keep you in bondage as much as anything in your entire life. It's this toxic sludge that we wear like a tuxedo or a prom dress sometimes. We think of pride as a good thing, and, and society perpetuates pride in our life, and we've adopted it in some respects in the church to where we think pride can actually be a good thing. And there are, are aspects of pride it's good to be proud of your family and of your children and of your country and things like that. But that's not the pride I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the pride that is an evil spirit, the, the, the pride that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, the pride that will take us and totally control us and cause us to miss out on so many of the blessings of God because we are unwilling to let go of our pride. Pride is a killer in our life. It is an evil spirit in our life. James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. We are literally forcing God's hand when we walk in pride, when we embrace pride in our life, we are forcing God's hand to oppose us. He has no choice but to oppose us, but he immediately gives grace when we are humble, when we humble ourselves. Pride will lie to us every day, all day long, and make us think that it's us, that it actually can be an okay thing. We, have, we can embrace pride in our life in a way where we think we're doing ourselves a favor by having pride in our life. We're opening ourselves up to the lies of the enemy where he would want to lie to us and tell us that we need to, to keep our pride. The pride would tell us in a, it, with the issue of forgiveness, it'll tell you that you have a right to be mad. You have a right to be hurt. That preacher up there, he doesn't know what you went through. He doesn't know what you've dealt with. That's pride. That's pride telling us we have a right to feel the way we want to feel about a situation. Pride will tell you that you have a right to revenge or that you at least have a right to retribution or retaliation or an apology or something. That's your right. That person hurts you. That's pride. And it's something we all deal with. Every single one of us deals with wanting what we want in a situation where someone has hurt us. And pride loves nothing more than to pounce on that and help you to stay in the bondage that you're in because of your own pride. Pride says it's about me. It wants to take matters into its own hands. It said, I will deal with this. I'll do with what I need to. It says that unconditional forgiveness is weakness. And pride would tell you that nothing in this world is worse than weakness. Don't ever be weak. That's what pride would say to you. Don't show people your weakness. Don't ever show people that you're weak. Weakness is the opposite of pride. Because we can't show our weakness when we're proud. You know, when we come into the church on a Sunday morning in our life, there's aspects of our life that are falling apart. But yet when somebody asks us how we're doing, we're like, oh, I'm good, bless God, I'm good, brother. We gotta keep a stiff upper lip and keep it all together. That's pride. That's pride not wanting to let people really see what's inside of us, what's in our heart. I'm not saying we should show it to everybody that comes into church on Sunday. But you know if you're trying to put up that facade so that people see you in a way that you want them to see you. And that, that is the exact same attitude that keeps us from being able to forgive. The one that doesn't want to be transparent. I don't even want to admit that you hurt me. I'm going to pretend it didn't even hurt. You just, you just look like a fool. You didn't really hurt me. You're just being silly. When in reality, we're dying inside because we're hurting. And pride won't let us do it. It won't let us show it. It'll say, no, no, we've got we to gotta stay strong, keep this figured out. Look at what Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He said, but he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness, church. His power is made perfect in our life, but only in our weakness. I preached on this a few weeks ago about how important it is that we acknowledge our weakness because that is actually the avenue where God's power can come into our life. That is literally the place that's the entry point for God's power in our life to help us to live the life that he has called us to live is through acknowledging our weakness. But pride will never let us do that. Pride will never let us acknowledge our weakness. It always wants to show the best side of us. You know, pride would keep, keeps us from being honest with people and being transparent with people and keeps us in bondage. Pride would keep me from telling you today that sometimes I feel inadequate to lead this church. And I do. But you know what? being transparent, being humble about it and admitting it, you know what happens? God comes in and says, good, that's what I'm looking for. I don't want somebody that feels adequate to lead this church. 
I need somebody that's inadequate because that's when my power is going to come in and do the work that you couldn't have done on your own anyway. But pride won't let me say that. Pride won't let me stand up here every Sunday like, oh, I got it all together, guys. I read my Bible 13 hours a day every day this week. And man, do I have a plan for this church. I, just stick with me, church. We're going to go places. Everything's wonderful. Man, do I have this figured out. Of course, my wife would be on the front row dying of laughter because she would know that none of that is true. But the rest of you wouldn't know that, right? We have to be transparent. We have to be humble. We have to be able to be, to be exposed because that is when God's power comes in and allows us to be able to live this life of forgiveness that he has called us to live. Pride is broken in our lives when we're transparent. And you know, it's that same pride that causes us to rejoice when those people that, we, that have hurt us are struggling. That's never okay for us as humans, as Christians, to be inwardly rejoicing when someone we have hurt, that has hurt us is struggling, going through a hard time. Never okay. And we've all dealt with it. We've all had those feelings of, yeah, they're getting what they deserve. That is pride, church. Pride in our life. We need to crucify that pride in our life to really live a life of freedom. It will keep us from the freedom that forgiveness brings in our life. You know, Charles Spurgeon said it. One of the most beautiful things I've ever heard a preacher say. He said that um, our weakness is a better weapon for God than our strength. And man, that goes against everything that society tells us. Everything society tells us, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about pride. It's all about getting yours. It's all about uh, making sure you take care of you and yours. Church, let us never, ever get our standard of humility and weakness and pride and all those things. Never get that standard from our society. Everything in our society is about pride. The spirit of pride is ruling in this world. It rules everywhere, in politics, in media, in entertainment, in sports. It's all pride. It's all pride. They, they're given to it. They don't even try anymore. That's like in, in sports, it's like it's all about their brand. Like, I got to get my brand out there because it's about me making my money before I have to retire. It's my brand. Politics, if you hear a politician admit they did something wrong, you would know Jesus is on his way. It doesn't happen. It's all pride. It's all pride. We cannot get our standard from our society. Our standard comes from the word of God. And he says that our weakness, his strength is made perfect in us. That's a beautiful promise. I mean, I can't understand why everybody's not a Christian. Like, wait a minute. I get to be weak and that makes me strong? Count me in. I'm in, baby. I'm all in, all day. But we have to be willing to let go of that pride. Because pride only cares about winning the fight. You ever, had a, uh, you ever had heated fellowship with your spouse? And in the moment, you didn't really care about forgiveness or anything else. You just wanted to win. Probably nobody in here. But people watching online, I'm sure some of you have, right? I've been there. I was probably there a few weeks ago. We want to win. That's all pride. Pride wants to win the fight. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 6 to 7. This is Paul admonishing the church in Corinth. He says, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Pride doesn't necessarily say I'm better than you. It just says I'm more important than you. Paul is saying here, he says, I don't need to know why you guys are going to court. 
I don't even need to know. It doesn't matter why you're going to court. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you says that you are already defeated. Church, this isn't conjecture. This isn't some story from a couple thousand years ago. This is the life that God is asking us to live today. You're already defeated because it's all about pride. It's all about winning. And I know some of you would say, well, what if, you know, what if somebody takes advantage of you and you could go bankrupt? I, I don't think Paul put a clause in there for that. I, I've had, I've had, I was in business for 15 years and I had situations where I absolutely could have went to court and it was never an option for me because I, I, know the, I know the word of God and I know that I can trust my God. And when he says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Okay, to me that says that I'm supposed to take that route if it comes down to that, so I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna trust my God. And guess what? Never missed a meal. Never missed a house payment. Never missed a car payment. God's taking care of me. Why not rather be wrong? The fact that we have lawsuits among us, and, and you can take, you, I'm not even talking legal lawsuits. I'm talking about arguments and unforgiveness with the people in our lives. The fact that we have that in our lives and we're not willing to deal with it says that we've been completely defeated already. That's the word of God. Pride is not just simple arrogance. It means preferring my will over God's will. And that's what happens when pride comes in. And we can know that we are defeating pride in our heart when we can say from our heart, God, your will, not mine. When we can really say that in a tough time, not in the morning when everything's still good and nothing's happened yet in that day, but in the middle of a situation that's difficult to say, God, your will be done, not mine. And to mean that from our heart, that's when you know you're kicking pride in the tail. That's where we need to strive to get to in our life because pride will absolutely keep us from living God's best for us. The second one, it's the second what if. What if unforgiveness pits us against God? Psalm 66, 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The Amplified says, if I know it's there and do nothing about it. It's very plain and simple. If we harbor unforgiveness, sin, unforgiveness, hatred, bitterness, grudge in our heart, if we know it's there and don't do anything about it, the Lord would not have listened to us. We are, we are forcing God's hand when we harbor and accept and, and live with that unforgiveness in our heart without, without making any effort to try to live, walk through it and, and let it go and be free. Church, we have to get away from this mentality that God just loves us so much that he's just sitting there just hoping that we will just say, I love you, Jesus, and come to church and read my Bible a little bit. That, that He's just this needy God that's just hoping that we'll just, if he gives us a crumb, that he'll just come to us and he'll just overlook everything else in our life. That's not our God. That's not the God we serve. Now, is grace the greatest thing that's ever hit the world in the history of man? Absolutely. God's grace is there to forgive us for everything, but he also doesn't sacrifice or, or compromise who he is just to have us come into relationship with him. He doesn't sacrifice that. There is a standard when we're gonna live for him. He says, yes, I have made a way. My grace is what makes it so that you can come into my presence. But if you're gonna stay in my presence, I have a standard of holiness. I have a standard of living for you in your life. And if you're gonna harbor unforgiveness and think you can just come in and I'm just gonna do your bidding, you've missed it. That's why Jesus says, if you do not forgive others, my heavenly father will not forgive you. He's not gonna let you mock or spit or belittle the sacrifice he made for us just so that we will come to him. That's not who he is. We're forcing his hand. We're forcing him to be against us. 
when we harbor it. And I think the most telling passage in all the Bible about unforgiveness and God's heart towards that for us is told in Matthew 18, the story of the unmerciful servant. And let me just give you a little bit of a, a, a synopsis of it. So the, the master calls his servant in and he says, hey, you owe me, they've done the math, I've heard all different kinds of numbers, but it was billions of dollars that this servant owed the master. He said, you owe me this money and I'm calling that account due. It's overdue, you need to pay me. And the servant says, I don't have the money, but I will get it, I promise, just give me more time, I just need more time, which was not true, he was never gonna, it was an insurmountable debt. It says that the master had mercy on him. He felt sorry for him, and so he gave him mercy, and he said, you know what? It's forgiven. I'll wipe it clean. It's gone. Forgave a three, three or $10 billion debt just like that. And this servant, in response to that, went out and found a fellow servant of his that owed him a couple hundred bucks, and it says that he choked him and said, pay me back the money you owe me. And the other servant says, I don't have it, but I promise you I'll get it. I'll get it. Just give me more time. And the first servant says, no way. I want my money and I want it now. You don't have it, I'm putting you in prison. He went to jail. And one of the other servants found out about this and went back to the master and told him what had just happened. So let's read the master's response in Matthew 18, 32 to 35. It says, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Guys, I, I, wish, I wish as much as anybody that we could tear that page out of our Bible and it wasn't true. But it's true. That's the word of God. That shows us that he's saying the kingdom of God is like this. And when he says that, he's saying that this is how God functions. This is his heart. And what he's saying here is that after the, the incredible debt that he forgave for all of us, he cannot idly stand by when we will not forgive those smaller debts that people have towards us in our life. And it doesn't matter what it is. He's saying in light of who Jesus is compared to us, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags that in comparison to Jesus, we are so far removed from him and his glory and his, his amazing goodness and his, the purity of who Jesus is. We are so far from that. And for him to see that distance and say, you know what, I'm gonna pay the debt myself and to come down and forgive us, his blood cleansed us of all of that debt, that whole, that gap that was between him and us, completely cleansed. And he said, for the price that I paid to have to do that by sending my own son to die for you, if you will not forgive those little debts that people have to you in this world that no matter what it is, is pales in comparison to the debt you had to me. Then he says he's gonna hand us over to the jailers to be tortured until we should pay back all that we owe. Some versions say he'll hand you over to, to be tormented. And some of us have been tormented for years. We are literally, by doing this, we are literally forcing the hand of God to be removed and we are opening the door for the enemy to come in and have his way in our life. I've heard of people actually having physical illnesses because of unforgiveness. It's because of this right here. And he says, here's what's interesting, guys. It says that uh, he was to be put in jail until he should pay back all he owed. Some people would read that and think, oh, he had to pay back those billions of dollars. No, that debt was paid. It couldn't be unpaid. He can't say, I changed my mind. I'm not canceling that debt. The debt was paid. What he owed was forgiveness. That's all he owed. And that's how any one of us gets out of that prison, that torment, 
where the enemy is, is tormenting us and we are living bitter and anger and have this hatred and have this fear of running into people in our lives that we know that we, don't have, that we have not forgiven. And all we have to do, the payment to get out of that prison is to extend forgiveness. But until we do, we are pitting God against us. We are pitting ourselves against him because he will not compromise who he is. He will not change who he is and what his standard is for us as followers. He's saying, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't already done, guys. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done in an in, in infinitely greater measure than what I'm asking you to do. Church, this is a big, big deal in our life. We have to make war with unforgiveness. We have to make war with grudges and bitterness and hatred in our life. It doesn't go away quietly. It's not like you can just wake up one morning and say, God, you know, just help me not to even care about that anymore. We have to make war against it. We have to purpose in our heart and choose that we are not gonna allow it to live in our life because we are forcing God's hand in our life. And it's only by his grace that by doing this that we're not wiped out immediately. He doesn't completely abandon us. The Bible is very clear. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. But that hand of protection, that covering that God gives us is removed when we are living with that unforgiveness, when we will not forgive our brother from our heart. So let me give you the last one. The last what if. What if it takes faith to forgive? And this is the title of my sermon. And this is where I believe God gives us the power to forgive. Because I know some of you feel helpless. Like, I don't want to feel that way when I see that person at the store or when I see their stuff on Facebook. I don't want to feel that way. I don't know how to win. I, unforgiveness has won the war up to this point. It's been winning the battles. And some of us actually feel that way. But I believe God gives us the tool here to be able to win that battle. You know, when he told the disciples, if someone sins seven times, seven times ask you to forgive them, forgive them. The disciples' response, God, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Don't, they didn't say, well, Jesus, can you just like make it to where it doesn't affect me? Like it just bounces off of me? Can you make it to where I just like, maybe I don't even hear what they say and I could just, you know, be oblivious to it all and I could just live with my head in the clouds? They didn't say that. They said, increase our faith. And I believe they did that because they understood that we can only truly forgive if we understand that we have been forgiven. See, the, the thing about the, the unmerciful servant, he knew that he'd been forgiven. The reason Jesus, the, the, God, the master responded to him so harshly was because that servant knew that he'd been forgiven. It wasn't like he could say, well, I didn't realize you canceled my debt. That's why I did this over here. He knew exactly what had happened, and his response was to not forgive. You see, the gospel is all about believing, church. It's all about believing the word of God in our life. And so is forgiveness. To be able to forgive, we have to believe that we have been forgiven. I don't know how the world, those that would not say that they are followers of Jesus, I don't know how they forgive. Because to really be able to forgive, there has to be forgiveness that we have received in our life. If we're gonna do it according to the word of God, to really walk in that freedom and line up with the word of God, it has to be that we have understood the forgiveness that we have received. We, it starts by understanding that I am a no good sinner, that there is nothing good in me, that I am not good enough to make God look at me and go, yeah, that guy's pretty good. That, that when the Bible says that, that uh, my righteousness is as filthy rags that I understand, that means I have nothing good to give. 
that when the Bible says that my heart is deceitfully wicked above all else, that there's nothing good in my heart. I don't have a good heart. My fleshly heart is not good. My fleshly heart is selfish. I may, be, I may show signs of goodness at times, but at the end of the day, I'm, my heart's about me without the Spirit of God in me. We're not good enough. And so we have to understand how much we've been forgiven from. See, we're not, it's not like I'm a good person and I just need to add Jesus to it so that he can punch my ticket to heaven. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. You are not good enough. There's nothing. And, and you may be able to treat people nicely and, and have a good uh, uh, aura of you and, and just be an easygoing person and be nice. You're still not good because you're not measuring. If you look at it like that, you're not measuring yourself against God's standard. See, in God's standard, none of us is even close to good. Not even close. We can't even think about beginning to look at the option of coming into his presence on our own because none of us is even close to good enough. You know, when they, did, when they built the temple, when they had the, the tabernacle and then the temple, you know, when the, the high priest was the only one allowed to go into that presence of God and he only did it once a year. And when he did it, they did it with fear and trembling and they actually tied a rope around his waist and the rope came out of the Holy of Holies back into the, the regular part of the tabernacle because if that priest did one thing to mess up, God struck him dead. And they couldn't even go in and get him. They had to pull him out by the rope. Nobody could go into the presence of God. None of us can go into his presence without his grace, without his mercy in our life. And we have to have an understanding of that. We have to have a revelation of that in our life, that God, I am not good. I am not good. There's nothing good in me that should make me feel like you need to do anything for me. And when we get to that place and we realize, yes, the debt has been paid. I can actually come into his presence. Are you kidding me? I can actually come and boldly to his throne of grace. Are you kidding me? I don't deserve that. It has to be because he's forgiven me. So we have to see who we are in light of who he is. And when we do that, then we can forgive. That's why the disciples said, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my ability to believe that I need you like you say that I need you. That's the only way. That is the only way, church. Because what he is saying to us is that if the forgiveness we have received at the cost of the blood of his son being shed for us, if we minimize it, and we don't forgive, he said, I can't, I can't stand back and just allow that. Let me read you a verse. In Matthew 7, verses 17 to 20, these are the words of Jesus. He says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Sounds pretty simple. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He's saying here that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. The only way to bear good fruit is if we are a good tree. Okay? Well, I just pretty much explained that we're not good. So none of us are a good tree until we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus. Okay? Then he comes in and he redeems us and makes us a good tree. When we become a good tree, then we have good fruit. Then we have the forgiveness in our life. We can't try to have the fruit of forgiveness in our life if we're a bad tree. If we don't understand what it takes to be a good tree, we're never going to have good fruit. We can try. We can try to have good fruit. You know, you can try to be a bad tree with good fruit, but you're not going to see it. It's not going to be sustainable because at the end of the day, the only tree that can produce good fruit is a good tree. And the only tree that's good is one that is understands what we have been forgiven from and who we are without Jesus and have seen ourselves. We need a revelation of who we are in light of who he is. And when we have that, 
then we can see, yes, I can forgive. I mean, this, this guy that rear-ended Kenzie this week, I mean, within a couple hours, I was like, well, God, it's good. You know, praise God. It's going to cost me some money. It scared her a little bit, but at the end of the day, nothing horrible happened. God, I forgive him. I mean, it was like, no big deal. He probably didn't stop because he didn't have insurance. So God, give him a job so he can make enough money to pay for insurance so he doesn't do this to somebody else. I mean, it, it just, forgiveness just starts to, to flow out of you when you realize what I really deserve from my God, I'm not getting. Yeah, I think I can forgive. I think I can do that. That's where forgiveness comes from. It comes from the fruit of knowing who we are. And just like the disciples said, increase our faith. Help us to believe more of who you are. Help me to see who I am compared to you. Because I think sometimes we do. We think we're good people. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. I just need Jesus to come on in here and help, me, help make me a little better, you know? And in reality, there's none of us. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize how you're not good. You know, the apostle Paul, the closer he got to Jesus, he ended up saying, I am the worst of all sinners. This is a dude that wrote a good portion of the New Testament. He's saying, I'm the worst of all sinners. It's because he just kept getting better revelations of who Jesus is. The more we understand who Jesus is, the more we realize, oh my goodness, how can I even come into your presence, Lord? Oh yeah, it's because of your grace and your wonderful love for me. And then there's no way an offense can stick to us then. Not for long term. It may hurt for a moment, but there's no way it can stay there forever where we're gonna embrace it. Increase our faith, God. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm gonna close. And I'm gonna read a little something to you as we close today. A lot of you probably know who Corey Ten Boom was. He was in a, she was a, a prisoner in a concentration camp during World War II. And she survived. And afterwards, she went around talking about forgiveness to people and how important it was to forgive. And this is something she wrote. She said, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. When I finished, people stood up in silence and left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat the next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath her skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. He did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had been every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? 
It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience, because since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who had nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And as I stood still there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion, and I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She said, Jesus, help me, I prayed silently, or increase our faith would be another way of saying that. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former God and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's the gospel, church. That's the gospel. She, she reached out. She did what she could do, and God met her in that moment because she knew what God's word said. She knew that she had no choice but to forgive. That's what God's asking for each one of us today. She said, God, help me believe. Jesus, help me. Sometimes that's all we can do, church, is say, Jesus, help me forgive. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it, but he promises us. The disciples themselves even said, Jesus, increase our faith. That's what we need. Faith is what it's gonna take for us to be able to forgive and walk in that freedom that God has called us to. I wanna pray for us. Let's pray. I'd ask you to respond this morning, this afternoon, just by lifting your hands, lifting your head, your eyes, closing your eyes, kneeling, whatever you wanna do, but I think we need to respond to God in this moment as we pray. Father God, we love you today. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, Jesus. You're so good to us, Lord. We thank you that though we don't deserve your love, that we don't deserve your grace, that we don't deserve your forgiveness, that you gave it to us. You paid the ultimate price so that we could know you, so that we could come boldly into your presence. What an honor and a privilege it is, Lord. Help us, Lord. Give us a revelation of how far we were really separated from you before we gave our hearts to you so that it will help us to forgive others. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us to believe in your forgiveness, that it is as great as you say it is. Show us, Lord. Help us to see what we are without you, that we're not good without you, that we are not enough, but that with you, God, in our weakness, you are made strong. Lord, we are weak. We don't know how to do it all the time. We don't always know how to forgive, but would you be our strength, Lord God? And Lord, we come today and we repent of harboring unforgiveness in our hearts, for harboring grudges, for harboring anger and bitterness and wanting bad things to happen to those people that have hurt us, Lord, we repent of that today. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, and we thank you that you do forgive us and that you do throw our sins into the ocean, to the bottom of the sea. God, we thank you for it. Help us to walk in your freedom and in your forgiveness today, God, and in your love. We ask you to do your work in our hearts by your spirit give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.
And the church said, amen, amen. Can we give God praise this afternoon? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.